Dylan Ferrix has been a part of River Ridge Church since 2017, where he currently serves as the Director of Student Ministries at the Charleston campus. Along with his primary role overseeing and leading both the middle school and high school students, Dylan also serves as a leader with Young Life at Herbert Hoover High School in Charleston. Dylan is passionate about encouraging others to live a simpler life centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Dylan grew up in Elkview, West Virginia, and currently resides there with his wife, Elizabeth. Please join me in welcoming guest speaker, Dylan Ferrix. Good morning. Welcome to River Ridge Church. My name is Dylan. My last name is not Ferrix. It is actually Frex. Uh, but thanks to the video, you guys will now all call me Dylan Ferrix. So I appreciate that. Um, you'll typically run into me down at the Capitol Market sipping on a nice cup of coffee. And when you see me down there, just look at me and say, hey, Mr. Ferricks, and we'll be good. So uh, real quick, I want to get to know all of you guys. So on the count of three, if everybody could just shout their name, I have this impressive talent of like hearing all of it. So, okay, ready? Three, two, one. Dylan okay. <laughs> Thank you, Vicki D. Um, so good morning to those of you that call River Ridge home, and good morning to those of you that are joining us online this morning. Uh, like I said, my name is Dylan, and I am the Director of Student Ministries at the Charleston campus, uh, and I'm super excited to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, the cool thing about it is, with the internet the way that it is now, I get to watch in on your social media and on the website and through the Facebook live streams and see all the great things that you guys are doing throughout Hurricane, Taze Valley, Barbersville, in the surrounding areas. So from your Charleston brothers and sisters, I just want to start off by saying thank you so much for your dedication uh, to loving Jesus well and loving your neighbors well also. Um, I was reading a book the other day by a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is a famous Christian writer uh, who was also part of the uprising against Nazi Germany. And in that book called Life Together, he says this. He says that the gathering of Christian brothers and sisters is a gift of grace that could be taken away at any moment. And so I hope you guys realize this thing that we're doing this morning, getting to worship and pray and, uh, and hear a little bit of the word, this is a special thing, and it's only by God's grace that we're allowed to do it. So I'm going to go ahead and start off with praying for us, and then we'll dive right in uh, to what God has for us this morning. Dear Lord, thank you for a day. Thank you for all my friends that are here at the Taze Valley River Ridge campus and all my friends that are watching online at home or at the beach as well. God, we're so thankful for this moment. We're thankful for your word, and we're thankful for the things you're going to teach us today about ourselves and about yourself. So help us to have a good morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so I am here to continue our series called The Other 316s, where we're taking a deep dive into some of the other verses that have the number 316 after them. And typically, when we say 316, we all think of John 316. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. It kind of sums the Christian faith up into one verse, and it's amazing but the cool thing about the Bible is it has so many other great verses that apply to us in everyday life. And so today, we're going to get a chance to take a look at another one of those. But as we talk about 316, there's something that initially comes to my mind every time I hear 316. And I'm a really sporty guy. Um, just to clarify, being sporty means I'm not athletic, but I like to watch sports on TV at home. Um, so I'm a really sporty guy, and I know a lot of things about the football. Um, 
because that's how you play the football. Uh, and there's this one guy who's known for writing verses on his eye black. He's the greatest football player of all time. Drum roll, please. No drum roll needed. It is Tim Tebow, right? Right? Good old Timmy. For, for the sake of our argument today, we're going to call him Timmy. And by greatest football player of all time, what I actually mean by that is he was kind of okay in college. Um, he wasn't really that good of a football player, at least not in the NFL. Uh, but he was known for writing verses on his eye black, like John 3.16 or Romans 8.28, different things like that, that people would then go look up online. And I think there was one point where he wrote John 3.16 on his eye black, and for a couple of days, the biggest Google search going was John 3.16. See, Timmy had a way of kind of pushing people towards a truth and having them discover it for themselves. So I started wondering, what would it have been like if Timmy uh, would have put other verses on his eye black, maybe some of the other more obscure 3.16 verses? For instance, what about Genesis 3.16, right? Awesome, I love Photoshop, it's great. Uh, Genesis 3.16, maybe Timmy would have put that up there, and I don't know that uh, Chad has talked to you guys about this verse yet, I know he will at some point, uh, but Genesis 3.16 says this. It says, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe, yahoo, uh, and painful, with painful labor, you will give birth to children. There's something you should know about Dylan, the student ministry director. I do not like children. Um, it's okay. So this is like the, the pain in childbearing is enough punishment. The children part, that's the real punishment. Uh, and then it says, your desire will be for your husband, who even knows what that means, and he will rule over you. And we're all like, Wow, yeah, start the Bible off solid. Genesis 3.16 is awesome. But what about this? What if instead of Genesis 3.16, instead, Timmy wrote something like Leviticus 3.16 on his face? And uh, it, like some of you guys just cringed. You're like, oh gosh, it's Leviticus. He's not gonna do it, is he? Uh, he is. Uh, so here we go. Maybe Timmy would have loved the poetic words of Leviticus 3.16 that says this. The priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering a pleasing aroma and all the fat is the Lord's and we're immediately like why are we in a series talking about 316s if that's one of the 316s uh, but I do want to make it clear there's a couple things we know about Tim Tebow that actually make this verse kind of work the first one is that he's not good at football that was just a jab the second one is that Tim Tebow is actually keto is there anybody that's keto in here keto friendly cool, that's a Charleston thing. There's like one person, he's like, it's me, and everybody looks at him like, you. Um, so with keto, one of the primary goals is to eat as much fat as you want. Uh, and so as I was thinking about it, I was like, maybe Tim Tebow likes this verse because it says, all the fat is the Lord's. I mean, I can imagine he's probably like scooping like coconut oil and stuff all over all of his food. Uh, so hashtag keto friendly and hashtag Timmy T-Bone. And uh, T-Bone, it's a, it's a meat joke, guys. It was a sacrifice. Anyway, it's fine. Um, um, it wasn't in there. I'll make sure to write next time. Don't use that joke. Uh, okay, so, you know, I think this is a really awesome series, though, because we get a chance to take a look at some of the other 316 verses, and some of them are really, really applicable to you and I. And like I said, I love the Bible because every time I open it, I see something that speaks to me in a new way, and God reveals something about life or about himself to me that I've never seen before. And so today, we're going to take a dive into 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. So if you have your Bible or your phone and you use your app, go ahead and open it up to 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Uh, as for your phone, I don't guess you open it up to 3.16, but maybe tell Siri like, hey Siri, you know, I don't know, maybe not. Uh, the reason I think this verse is super cool though is because it really genuinely applies to everyone in every season. 
And I know some of you guys are skeptical out there, and you're like, I'm sure it's not going to apply to me. Uh, But I really think it does. I think it applies to kids. I think it applies to teenagers. It applies to adults, which is the category that most of us land into. And it applies to seniors. And I'm not going to make a joke about my mom in this particular instance. Uh, It applies to men, and it applies to women. But even more interesting, it applies to those of us who have been following Christ our entire life. And it also applies to those of you out there who are just kind of feeling out this Christian faith, who's not sure that this is really for you, but this verse definitely is. And the reason I think it applies to all of us is because it really plays on this common struggle that every single one of us has. And that common struggle that Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16, is busyness. It's restlessness. It's stress. It's depression. It's anxiety. It's pain. It's sadness. It's all of those things. And suddenly we realize that this verse, 2 Thessalonians 3.16, really does apply to every single one of us. See, I don't know about you guys, but it feels like my life continues to get busier and busier and busier and more stressful day after day after day. You may have heard the saying that May is the new December, and around River Ridge, it's really busy, especially being on church staff. We're doing church left the building. We're getting ready for big kick. Uh, We have graduating seniors heading out the door if you're in student ministry and serving those folks. There's a lot going on in May. But the thing is, I think May is the new December, but apparently, according to Hallmark, so is July. Um... Which, by the way, pray for me. My wife loves those movies, but I cannot do Candace Camion, Cam, Camion Beret or whatever her name is. I'm over it. Um, also, we saw a commercial that said that Thursdays are Christmas movie nights. And I'm like, but you're playing all Christmas movies now. So apparently, from now on, Thursdays are Christmas movie nights on Hallmark. So uh, those are the nights that I need to stay out of the house and let my wife have some space. Um, but anyway, I think that May is the new December July is the new December, but so is really every other month. I mean, everything is getting busier and busier. And in our culture, we're kind of addicted to it. We kind of love that feeling of productivity and busyness, and it really makes things way more hectic. But see, the thing for me, and it may be true for you as well, is that I've noticed this pattern, like I've noticed this cycle. When I am uh, getting busy, I become stressed. And when I become stressed, I tend to rely on myself more, which means that I tend to rely on God less. And the thing about it is, I can't provide the relief that I need from the stress that I face. You see, it seems that the things we go to in order to find calm in life often cause us more chaos. And so today, our starting point for today's sermon is this, that temporary things can offer only temporary relief. So if you're taking notes, go ahead and write that down, and that'll be the framework for which we build the rest of today's sermon. A couple weeks ago, or I guess about a month now, my family decided to go outside. Um, Maybe by looking at me, you would think I'm outdoorsy. It's just the beard. It's a figment of your imagination. I'm not actually outdoorsy. I'm not actually sporty. I like to sit inside and drink coffee and read books. Uh, And you guys are like, oh man, he sounds like a hoot. Um, But a couple couple weeks ago, or about a month ago, my family decided to go outside and we went kayaking, which is one thing that is outside that I actually do kind of enjoy. And we spent the entire day floating down the Coal River, which if you haven't done that, you really should like find somebody with boats and borrow them and do it because the Coal River is beautiful. It's like really nice and super calm. Um, And the time spent with my family and the calmness of the river and like getting to paddle and like seeing wildlife and then the barbecue dinner that followed after, like all of that was such a good, relaxing, and restful thing to do. But I have to be honest, there was one thing that wasn't all that good about the trip. 
And it was the fact that at the beginning of the trip, my wife and my mom both came up to me and said, Dylan, it's going to be very hot outside today. You should probably wear sunscreen. And like a four-year-old, I looked at my wife and my mother, who know way better than I do, uh, and I said, it's not that sunny. I'll be fine. The second we got on the river, the clouds moved, and the rest of the day, I think it was like 93 degrees and blaring sun. Um, so with that being said, it's kind of a temptation that all men have. We're really bad at listening to our wives and our mothers, uh, including some of the people that you may have seen speaking here before, uh, like the head pastor at our Charleston campus, Matt Stanton, who sent me this picture of his favorite sunburn he ever had. A um, couple things to note. One, my sunburn was not this bad. Two, he has really big eyebrows, like me. And three, he's kind of jacked. I mean, he's in pretty good shape. That was obviously like 40 years ago. But if you see him next time, be like, hey, Matt, saw that picture, looking really good. Um, so you can go ahead and take that down. So before I went to bed that night, my wife and I were talking. I was like, man, my legs are burning so bad. Like half my leg is white and half my leg is like red. Um, and she uh, introduces me to this awesome thing. It's like this new invention. You may have heard of it, maybe you haven't. Uh, it's called aloe, right? And you take this stuff and you like squeeze a bunch of it out into your hands and then you smear it all over yourself. And it's like rubbing glue. It's like, it's like when you're four years old and you find the paste in kindergarten, you like scoop it out and you start like, this is satisfying. Um, that's literally what aloe is, except it has this like soothes, cools, and refreshes thing. Um, and so honestly, I'll have to be totally honest. My wife was right in this instance, like put the aloe on, it feels pretty good. Get in bed, go to sleep. Wake up at three o'clock in the morning because my dog uh, is like 11 years old and still pees in the middle of the night. Uh, thanks, Jesus. Um, and honestly, when I got up, I realized my legs, like they're still burnt. They still hurt. And in fact, I think they hurt even worse. And so like the lifespan on this aloe is probably about four hours, give or take. Um, and then you have to reapply. But as I got thinking about it and I was preparing for this sermon, it kind of dawned on me that that's very similar to our life. We have something that's painful, we have something that's challenging, and we go to something to find relief. And whatever that thing is, we apply a little bit of it, and then for a little bit of time, maybe four hours, four days, four months, four years, we have some relief from it. But at the end of the day, that relief wears off, and we have to go back for more. You know, the thing is, no matter how much aloe you apply, it eventually does fade off. The other thing is, no matter how much aloe you apply, it doesn't fix the sunburn. It just offers relief. And so for some of you guys, for some of us, uh, our relief may come from like a favorite food. Maybe it comes from binging Netflix or time spent with family or working out or uh, a drink or something like that. Maybe it comes from meditation. But the problem is, no matter what your aloe is, it will always prove itself to be temporary. You see, we fool ourselves time and time again. We say, if I just put more of that on, the problem will go away. If I just rub more of that on, it will go away. And we fool ourselves time and time again. And with this mentality, we continue turning to things that don't really provide a fix because temporary things offer only temporary relief. So the question I had come up was, well, if we don't like, if we know that these sources aren't working, right? They're only providing temporary relief then where do we turn? Let me tell you guys, the world has billions of things that they tell you to turn to, right? Maybe a new job, maybe a new car, maybe a new family, right? Maybe a new state, maybe vacation. The thing is, all of those things are temporary as well. And so today, our second point is this. While temporary things come, uh, bring temporary relief, everlasting things 
can offer everlasting peace. You see, that's what we're all really looking for, isn't it? We all want the fix to be permanent. We all want to have peace and rest in our life. But time and time again, we trick ourselves into thinking that the things we're going to are actually working, when in reality, they're totally not. So today, we're going to take a dive into Paul's second letter uh, to the church at Thessalonica. We call it the book of uh, 2 Thessalonians. But I think for us to understand this verse, we need to understand the context first. Because it's really easy for us uh, being kind of cynical people in 2019 to think that life is so bad right now and that back then, back in the good old days, like they didn't have any problems. When we think about the church at Thessalonica, we're talking about a church who is like kind of just barely removed from Jesus. So we see these pictures of them having like these nice little dinner parties and having communion and like fellowshipping. But the reality is for the church at Thessalonica, it's not what their life was like at all. So in this moment, Paul is writing to the early church, just barely removed from Jesus. A big group of people who are trying to follow Jesus with everything they have, but who are facing opposition at every turn. Um, I love these series of YouTube videos called The Bible Project. Maybe you've seen those. Maybe you've seen them on like the Bible app. Um, The Bible Project is run by a guy named Tim Mackey, who is an absolute genius. And in his like rundown of the book of 2 Thessalonians, This is what he has to say about those people. It says that the Thessalonians were persecuted Christians who were facing violent opposition. Needless to say, life for the Thessalonians was really messy. It was really busy. It was really stressful. And suddenly we realize that even though there's this maybe like 2,000-ish year gap between us and them, it's still just us because we all feel that. So in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse uh, 16, this is what Paul goes on to write as a letter of encouragement to that church. He says this, Now may the uh, Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way, and the Lord be with you all. And for a second, I want us to imagine that we were living back in those days uh, as a member of the church of Thessalonica, And we're literally at times running for our life, hoping that we're not going to get killed for our faith. And then this is what Paul decides to write to us, right? It's like you would expect it to be something else. You'd be expected to be like, stand up for yourself, fight back, fight for your faith. Instead, Paul kind of gives this idealistic sense of peace. He says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. And you're literally maybe sitting like in your house reading these words, saying, man, that does not feel like my life at all right now. So the thing about it is, uh, they may have thought they were different from Paul, but really Paul's life was not all that different from theirs. In fact, Paul's life was pretty bad. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11 uh, about his life. He says this, five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods, Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. He goes on to say this. I have faced dangers uh, from rivers and robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. And then after that, he goes on to say, and all the while... I'm caring for the church, and I'm trying to help you out. So the thing is, you see, Paul has the right to talk about peace because he knows what the opposite of peace feels like. 
He knows pain. He knows persecution. He knows fear. He knows sadness. He knows loss. We can all relate to Paul to some extent. And so I think if we were thinking about this in our modern day, we'd have like a modern version of this. And I, I kind of like compiled some different thoughts that I hear throughout the week every now and then. Uh, but this is honestly kind of what we consider having a bad week. It might be something like this. Nowadays, um, we would say something like, five times a month, I had to put gas in my car. Three times, I didn't get to sleep until midnight. Once, I had to miss watching The Bachelor, and I spent a whole day at the DMV. I was slandered by mean Facebook comments, and I wasn't able to buy that new phone the day it came out. I worked 45 hours this week. My boss said I wasn't working hard enough, and my wife yelled at me for not doing the dishes, and my dog peed in the floor. And that's kind of the, like, that's kind of the sum total of a bad week in our life, right? But the thing about it is, most of the crises that we face really aren't crises at all. They're just kind of blown out of proportion things that we need to learn how to get through. With that being said, life can be tough sometimes. There are some legitimately hard things that people go through. And there are legitimately hard things that some of you guys are probably going through right now. Maybe for you, it's that you just lost a family member. Maybe your job isn't working out and you're feeling financially like things are struggling. Maybe you're dealing with some mental health issues. Maybe you're worried about your kids. Or maybe you just have no idea what tomorrow holds. And if I were to ask us to raise our hands and say, does anybody have something like that going on? man, a lot of us would raise our hands right now because a lot of us feel that. And so the question I have is kind of this, how did Paul keep going in moments that were hard? How did Paul keep going through all the trials, through the, the lashes and the beating with rods and the being stoned and the shipwrecks and the being adrift at the sea, being hungry, not getting sleep, all those things. How did Paul deal with it? You see, we are quick to turn to temporary things, but Paul was quick to turn to something else he turned to the only thing in life that he found to be eternally reliable, and that was God. You see, we uh, have this idea of God, but I think sometimes we just boil him down into something he's not. I think a lot of times we forget that God is always there and always with us. And so there's a couple things today that I want to go through in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16, that I think is the secret sauce, and not the Chick-fil-A sauce, of how Paul made it through life. And the first one is this. Uh, the first thing he says is, Now may the Lord of peace himself. And so I'm kind of a nerd. I went to Bible school. I have a degree in religion. That's what I did for college, um, pretty much because I wasn't good at anything else. Uh, and um, so I was like, man, this would be neat to see what he's saying here. Because honestly, Paul could have said, Now may God himself give you peace at all times. And that's kind of how we would say it. But instead, Paul uses a more formal title. He calls him the Lord of peace. So I went back and I broke these words down a little bit and went back to the Greek. And the Greek word for Lord that Paul uses here is kyrios, K-Y-R-I-O-S. And I was curious, like, why would he use that particular word? Once again, he could have used any word he wanted. Why would he use that one? And when I started doing some searching, I found that this word actually kind of can translate to the word controller. And immediately, this verse kind of transformed for me because now it says, now may the controller of peace. That means that all peace is God's to give away. If we ever feel peace, it's from him. And I feel like he's just sitting up there like, man, they're having a bad day. And he dumps a little bit out on us and he gives us his peace. He's the controller of it. And the next thing that it says is the word peace. And I was like, what even is peace? Like, I don't really know. Like, I know what a piece of pie is, uh, but I don't know what this type of peace is. And so I started looking that one up, and the word there is Irene. 
And basically what it means is rest. And I think that's the common thing that when I talk to people, I'm like, hey, how's your life going? They're like, man, I'm just so tired. Like, I just need rest. And the cool thing here is that when we look at those two words together, it says, now may the controller of rest himself. And suddenly it puts us in a, a new perspective where when we need rest, the only person, the only thing we can go to is the controller of that rest, and that's God. So Paul actually continues uh, with something else that I just really love. He says, Now may the Lord of peace, or the controller of rest himself, give you peace or rest. By show of hands, who in here enjoys getting a gift for Christmas or your birthday or anything like that? Okay, so like 10 of us, nice. Uh, so honestly, guys, I love getting gifts, but the best type of gift is the one that I don't have to earn, right? Like if I have to earn it, then it's a wage, not a gift. And so the cool thing here is that Paul is writing to the people and he's saying the Lord of peace is gonna give you peace. He's saying it's a gift. It's unmerited. It's not based on how much wealth you have. If you're a man or a woman, if you live in West Virginia or Texas, it doesn't matter. It's not based on anything you do. It's only based on him. You see, the thing is, when we look at God's gifts throughout scripture, they're all freely given. They all have this kind of overarching theme of, no matter how bad of a person you are, God will still give it to you. And I love that about his peace. I love that his peace is not contingent on me spending 40 hours a week in my Bible, or it's not contingent on me praying for 15 hours a day. It's contingent on the fact that God loves me because I am his creation. And that's amazing. The next thing he says is this, uh, that uh, the Lord will give us peace himself at all times, and in every way. And the thing about it is, I was starting to think about this, and I was like, I can think of times that God has given me peace, but I can also think of times that it feels like he hasn't. So the question I had was, is Paul wrong about God and the peace that he gives, or is the problem something on my end? You see, what's really cool about the peace, like this peace of God, is that it applies to everything. So today we're in a situation that's really hard and really difficult and God gives us peace. But tomorrow when life feels broken again, we tend to forget like one day, two days, a month back when God gave us peace. And so the question I had is this, can you imagine having peace at all times and in every way? And the answer for me is no. Right? Like, I can't even imagine a life of constant rest and peace. And I think the reason for that is because I've been, like, I've gotten so addicted to this. Right? I've gotten so addicted to the temporary things, and I'm so quick to go to those, that, like, the eternal peace that God can offer me is not even a thought that I have. And then the next thing, like, my, my logic just kind of flows from here. The next thing I had is this. What's the deal? If God loves me and God is going to give me peace based on this verse, then why don't I feel that, right? Why don't I feel peace when I listen to K-Love every day, I go to church every Sunday, I serve on the greeting team, and I have this great prayer life, and I read my Bible? What am I missing? Like, what is the thing that is preventing me from feeling this peace that God says he wants to give us? And I think this is the disconnect. The last part of this verse says this, the Lord be with all of you. And I think the reason that you and I don't feel God's peace is because we tend to forget that God is with us every moment of the day. We tend to forget that God's presence is literally always there. 
See, as I was going through this verse and looking at the connection of things, I feel like there's this necessary connection between the presence of God and the peace of God. And so that's our next, uh, our next major point, is that God's presence brings about God's peace. You see, the thing about it is, like, we can say, like, oh, God's always with me, but do we feel that? I think when we own that statement, we really will feel peace. But the problem is, in the busyness and hurry and brokenness of everyday life, it's so, so hard for us to feel that. And so for the final part of my talk with you guys today, I want to go back to a sermon series that we did uh, a little over a month ago. And the sermon series was called God Is. And if you weren't here for that series, that's great. Go online and listen to them because the talks were awesome. But the premise of that series was that a right relationship with God can't be based on wrong assumptions about him. We need to understand things about God if we want to be in a relationship with him. And so there's three things that I want to leave you with today that I think we all need to understand about God. And the first one is this, that God is with me. It's amazing, like, how caught up in things we can become that we lose sight of the goodness and the presence of God. You see, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says this, uh, and this is the same guy who, like we talked about just a couple minutes ago, was beaten and stoned and whipped and hungry and sleepless. Same guy. He says this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? You know, the coolest thing about that is that if we were to really own that verse, like I said, it was 1 Corinthians 3.16, if you're taking notes, if we were to own that verse, we would understand that when we walk out of this room, God is still equally as much with us as he was here. And we walk into a bad day at work, God is with us there. And we walk into that hospital and get bad news, God is with us there. And we walk into the courtroom because we're going through a family mess, God is with us there. It doesn't change where we are. God is always with us. And the coolest thing is that on our hardest days and when life hurts the most, that is when God shows up the most. See, God is literally in us. And we can be comforted by knowing that this presence of God that we want to feel is literally always there. The next thing I think we need to remember is this, that God is greater than me. Sometimes when we're going through difficult things in life, the temptation is to think that God is not big enough to solve our problems. I think sometimes we reduce our God to something so, so small. But the thing is, God is massive, and he has so much power and so much love for his people that he can bring you peace even in those situations. See, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul, the same guy who's written everything else we've talked about today, says this, Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work, once again, within us. You see, because the power comes from the presence and the peace comes with it. You see, the thing is, when we can't handle something, and I imagine this was true for Paul as he's literally being stoned or thrown in jail or shipwrecked or all these different things, when we can't handle it, God can And the cool thing is, every time I open the Bible and I read some scripture, that's the thing that keeps popping out to me. That even though I am broken and I cannot do anything on my own, God can do whatever he wants. Uh, I love that that, uh, line from the song, do what you want to. Like, God doesn't want us to have a stressful, jacked up life. So are we willing to actually surrender all to God and say, do what you want to? Because if we did, we're going to feel peace like never before. 
And the final thing I want us to remember is this, that God is for me. You know, in a world where everything is so individualistic and everybody's always against each other and we can't help but like bash each other, it's cool to know that if nothing else, there is one person who will never give up on us and he is for us. You see, in Romans 8, 28, the apostle Paul says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. You see, no matter what the world seems to dish out, the pain and the hurt and the brokenness and the stress and the anxiety and the depression and the loss, no matter what the world can deal out, the Christian can always remember that all things are being worked together for our good. You know, I believe in scripture. I think that the Bible, when it says something, I can take that and claim that and make it true in my life. And if I do that with this verse, that means that no matter what type of day I'm having, no matter how busy or restless I am, I know that God is working it out. And that can give me peace. You see, we need to remember these things. God is with me. God is greater than me. And God is for me. Because if we can dial in on that and we can really feel God's presence, maybe for the first time, then we will finally feel peace for the first time. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be out here and talk with my brothers and sisters in Taze Valley. Um, God, I'm thankful for this opportunity. I'm thankful for the opportunity to accept your peace and your rest on our lives. God, help us to always be thinking about the presence that you bring into every situation and the fact that that presence is not just with us, but in us. God, you're so good. Do what you want to in our lives and help us to have a great week. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey guys, thanks for letting me come out and talk to you guys. I don't really know how to end this thing, so stand up, say hi to somebody, and we'll see you again next week. Take it easy.